Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're beginning this morning a short series on spiritual warfare. There are three very important words that that, uh, army strategists use whenever it comes to any kind of warfare. Three words, know your enemy. The Bible is clear that we as followers of Christ have an adversary. So this is the beginning of our series on spiritual warfare. We need to know our adversary, know our enemy. In Army Ranger training, they often take nine weeks to take those men and servicemen and train them for nine weeks about the tactics of the enemy so that they can know, see how important it is to know who they're fighting, where they come from, the way they do battle. So we're going to look at the Bible today. This is our field manual. Did you know that? for our warfare. And I want to read three key passages that we're going to be using through this series to remind us of the truth of our adversary and this warfare. Chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, verse 3. For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way, since the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking thought captive, every thought captive, to obey Christ. We do not wage war in the flesh, but it is a spiritual battle. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 6. Paul goes on with this topic of spiritual warfare in chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle, here it is again, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. And then, 1 Peter chapter 5. Those of you Bible students know exactly these passages, maybe some that you've memorized. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be serious. Be alert. Some translations say be sober. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him and be firm in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the the world. Taking those three passages as our foundation for this truth about spiritual warfare, you need to hear clearly today that we are in a battle, that we are not fighting each other, we are not fighting the government, we are not fighting uh, things out there that, that are tangible, we are fighting a spiritual war. The enemy has issued the challenge and he has laid down this battle plan against us. So I want us this morning just to know our adversary, just to look at four Key truths about Satan, our enemy. Number one, Satan was a created being who fell from heaven. Where did he come from? 
He is a created being who fell from heaven. Sometimes somebody will come to me with a, an issue or a problem, and, and the way they, they almost attack me, I step back, and the first thought in my mind is, where are you coming from? I don't say it out loud, but I think it. Where is this person coming from? Why is it that this person who's normally easy going like this suddenly has been elevated right here and they're yelling at me or very intense? And, and I step back and say, where are they coming from? What, I, what I'm saying is, I want to know what's going on in their life. What are they thinking? Where have they been? That's what we're asking about the enemy, Satan. Where does he come from? Why would he unleash this battle against us, the people of God? Well, I want you to look with me at the book of Isaiah in your Old Testament, right after Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon. Look at Isaiah chapter 14. We're going to read a truth here about the king of, of Babylon and his downfall, but that's the first application of this truth, but the secondary is a key statement. I think as I read these passages, you'll understand that these, these passages refer to Satan himself. Verse 12, Isaiah chapter 14. Shining morning star. Some translations have Lucifer, the morning star. How have you fallen from the heavens? You destroyer of nations. You have been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, now listen, listen to what Lucifer, listen to what the morning star, that, that angel in heaven says to God. I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Somebody said Satan had eye trouble. By the way, that's what sin is. Did you know that? Right in the middle of sin, you have the big letter I. And it starts right here with this rebellion against God as one of those angels that God created saying, I want to be like the Most High. Look at verse 15. But you will be brought down to Sheol to the deepest regions of the pit. An illusion, a, a statement of what Satan rose up to be against God and how he was cast from heaven. Look with me now with, at the book of Ezekiel. Several books of prophecy as you go towards the back of your Bible. Ezekiel chapter 28. Another lament, another challenge, uh, judgment against the king of Tyre, uh, a, a literal king. But you'll see the implication that also refers to Satan, the enemy himself. Verse 11, Ezekiel 28. It's on page 1045. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, lament for the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Now, look at these statements that that I believe can only be attributed to Lucifer, the morning star, Satan himself. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, in the garden of God. Skip down to verse 14. You were an anointed guardian cherub, for I had appointed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. From the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. Through the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So, God says, I expelled you in disgrace from the mountain of God and banished you, guardian cherub, from the fiery stones. Your heart became proud. Isaiah wrote about that, didn't he? Your heart became proud because of your beauty. For the sake of your splendor, you corrupted your wisdom. So I threw you down to the earth. I made you a spectacle before kings. I believe clearly the Bible is giving us instructions of, of where Satan originated, a created being with one of the angels, an angel in God, well, a beautiful angel, but coming to that point of pride and rebellion against God Almighty. The Bible says that not only did Satan rebel against God, but he took a host of heaven with him. Those angels who fell with him, fallen angels, we believe, 
are called demons. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Satan created falling from heaven. Satan is referred to 52 times in Scripture by that title, Satan. 35 times the word devil is used. Here in Ezekiel, he's called the guardian cherub. In, in Isaiah, he's called Lucifer, the morning star. He's, he's in Luke, the ruler of demons. In John, the ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians, the god of this age with a little g. In Ephesians, he is the prince of the power of the air or the prince of the power of this world. He's called the father of liars in John. And the list goes on and on and on. The deceiver. Our adversary, Satan himself. Where did he come from? He came from rebellion. As a created being, created to give honor and glory to God as an angel. Saying, no, I want to be like God. By the way, when he finally met up with Adam and Eve in chapter 3 of Genesis, what does he try to convince them to do? To be like God. Secondly, Satan was limited, is limited in his power and influence. Satan is limited in his power and influence. This is so important. Often we talk about Satan, the enemy. We talk about demons and we talk about spiritual warfare and, and this cloud comes over us in a sense that, oh no, what are we going to do with these evil forces and powers that are there? Let me tell you, he is limited in his power and in his influence. In 1 John, the Bible says, greater is he that is in me, the one that is in me, than he that is in the world. Folks, you need to take, take heart in that fact. The Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ living in us is the name above every name. We've been singing about it today. He is the name that is above any name. He is Lord. He is the one who's in authority. The, the, the power that Satan has is limited. His influence is limited. In Job chapter 1, if you have an opportunity to turn there with me, to Job chapter 1, if I can find Job. The story here, Satan goes to God, and Job is a godly man, a righteous man, and Satan, has, there's this challenge there. And basically what he says is, since Job is a godly man, he has everything going for him. I bet if he didn't have that going for him, he wouldn't praise you. Look, look at the passage. Just pick up in verse 9. Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear nothing? Fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But Satan says to the Lord, stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to his face. Verse, verse 12, very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, you must not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Satan had to go to God to get permission. I think that's a key theological truth, that his power is limited. Nothing escapes the all-knowing, all-purposeful plan of God. So anything Satan does, God has to give him permission to do. I've got some good news, bad news here. Let's start with the bad news. The bad news is that Satan hates God and he hates you. He's personal. He's not just a force out there. He's not just a, a way of thinking. He's not just a philosophy of life. He's a personal being that God created. He's real. He's not just a feeling. He's supernatural. He has power. He's scheming. He has a strategy to ruin the people of God. That's the bad news. You want the good news? Satan is not all-powerful. Get that in your mind, in your heart. Write it down somewhere. Satan is not all-powerful. God is. 
Satan is limited in what he can do. You read the Bible and you find all authority, all power is given in the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to the glory of God. Jesus Christ is Lord. Satan is not all powerful. Secondly, Satan is not all knowing. Did you know that? He doesn't know everything like God does. He, he has the record of Scripture. He uses Scripture. He has the prophetic word that says this is going to be his ultimate destiny. He has all that. He looks at the history of your life and has that track record. But he's not all-knowing like God is. Thirdly, Satan is not ever-present like God is. Satan isn't everywhere all the time like God is. The Bible says in Job, right in chapter 1 there, that, that Satan was, was roaming the earth and he came into the presence of God. He's not everywhere all the time. He has a, a host of demons that, that fulfill that and carry that out in our midst. But Satan is just a, a person who's not everywhere, a, a personality who's not everywhere all the time. And number four, Satan cannot out act. He cannot act outside of the knowledge and purposes of God. So whoever says Satan can only take you where you're willing to go. He can't take you where you're not willing to go. In other words, we, we have a choice in yielding to this. We're going to talk a lot about that next time as we talk about the battleground that we have. So the good news is Satan is limited. We have a new dog at our house. His name is Trapper. Because we're empty nesters. And I was excited about not having kids or dog and could go and do anything we want whenever. So we get a dog. So now we're, we're in Corpus Christi having a good time and Kelly says... We have to go home now. I'm like, why? Because we have to let the dog out. We're making plans to go on a trip. What do we do? We have to think about what are we going to do with the dog. Folks, we are trapped by this dog. His name is Trapper. Some of you are just now getting that. But we've tried to train him on the leash, and we have one of those leashes with the little push button, and you release it, and that, that, that the dog starts running out there. And then you click it and it stops him. Do y'all have one of those? That's the way to do it. And I, I, I release that thing and Trapper takes off running. And he, man, it's like he can do anything he wants. And he thinks he does. And I click. Oh, and he stops like that. Like I'm hurting him. And I reel him back in. See, he thinks he's free to do whatever he wants, but he's on a leash. And I don't know how theologically accurate this is, but that's the picture I have of Satan. He's on a leash. He's out there running around like he is in control of everything. But God says, no, you're not. God can stop him and reel him in. You read the encounters in the book of, well, in the Gospels, going on into the book of Acts. You read the encounters when Satan brings his demons, and even when Satan himself comes and attacks full force one-on-one -on -one with someone, the name Jesus has all power and authority over those demons. They cringe, they tremble at his name. He's on a leash, folks. Don't forget that. He's limited. Number three, Satan has an army of demons to do his work. Satan has an army of demons to do his work. Back in Ephesians chapter six, we read it a moment ago. Let me read it again. Verse 12, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. I believe that's a clear description of the demonic host, of those fallen angels who are now Satan's demons. 
and some kind of a hierarchy authority structure that he has in those, some translations say, principalities and authorities. There's a demonic world that's out there that's wreaking havoc on the world and wreaking havoc in the lives of believers. See, they've fallen with Satan. and Now that's his team. And their strategy is to wreck us. Going back to statements made by Stu Weber, he says three things about demons, and I, I think, I think these, are, these are good statements because I agree with them. Number one, when you think about demons, first of all, realize this. Demons are real. Don't toy with them. Don't get involved in the area of demonology and possession and oppression because you think it's interesting and exciting. It, it is real. Don't toy with demons. They're real. It's not just a figment of your imagination. It's not just a, a disorder. They're real. Number two, demons are defeated. Don't sweat them. I like that. They're defeated. Don't be overwhelmed by the fact that Satan does have a host of demons. That they are wreaking havoc on this world. Understand that, again, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Number three, demons are not a biblical emphasis. So don't make them one. So they're real, don't toy with them. That's important. They're defeated. Christ is victorious, has been victorious, is victorious, and they're not a biblical emphasis. Don't make them one. I tell you what, folks, the final word was the cross and the resurrection. Jesus is Lord. C.S. Lewis said it this way when he thinks about what to do with demons and Satan. There are two equal up and equal and opposite errors into which we race and can fall into about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. He said both are, are errors that the enemy's pleased with. In other words, at one extreme I can say, you know what? There is no Satan. There are no demons. That's just what religious fanatics believe. Satan's good for people to believe that. Then there's the other extreme that says it's all about him. Satan, and it's all about his demons. That's the that's meat of the Christian life. Both of those extremes are wrong. And C.S. Lewis says the enemy loves both of those extremes because he can keep us consumed with the thought of demonology or he can keep us consumed with the thought that he's not even there. I listen to people naming sicknesses after demons and demons after sicknesses. He said that person has the demon of Tuberculosis. We need to exercise the demon of tuberculosis. That person has the demon of whatever. Folks, those aren't biblical truths. Those are things people have added. Don't make too much of them, of demons. I think another analogy that helps me is rats and garbage. Go back behind a restaurant where lots of foodstuffs are put in the dumpster. Or go to a big city down some back alley and, and you find a dumpster full of trash and food and rats. What, what, what gets the rats there? They're after the garbage. When somebody comes in and says, I need you to clear away the rats and the pests from this area, you know what you do first of all? You get rid of the garbage. Then you deal with the pests. Some of you are in this place in your life where it seems like the enemy is having a heyday with you. You're listening to his lies. You're listening to the mistruths, the distortions of Scripture, and, and you're, you're coming to that point of darkness in your life. Let me tell you what, get the garbage out. 
Acknowledge where there's sin in your life. Confess it. Repent of it. Because that's what the rats like. They like the garbage. This army of demons that Satan has at his disposal is what they thrive on. We'll talk more about those lies next time. What number are we on? Four? Number four. Satan's strategy is to steal, to kill, and destroy. John 10, 10 says it clearly. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he's here to do. He's not here to make your life better. He's miserable, and he wants company for his misery. He wants to mess up your life, your Christian walk. He wants to heap on you lies. He wants to remind you of the things that you did before you trusted Christ. He wants to bring to your mind how bad you are. He wants to say to you, you're so bad, God could never forgive you. And if you've received Christ and been forgiven, he wants to bring the lie to you that says you were so bad that God can never use you. Folks, those are lies of the enemy. Someone said the next time that Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. His future is the pit for eternity. Satan's strategy. I just listed a few things, and we'll get into these more in the the next couple of weeks. He wants to slander the credibility and character of God. He wants to cause you to doubt God's faithfulness, God's trustworthiness, God's plan and purpose for your life. He wants to distort that. He wants to make your life difficult by bringing in doubt. He wants to call your attention to questions in Scripture that that are difficult and get you to focus on those so that you wouldn't look at the truth of the whole counsel of God. He wants to get you isolated on those kinds of things. He wants to bring division in the church. He wants to cause disunity. He he does that well in many churches. And what happens when he does that is we begin to blame each other. And we turn on each other. And we say, they're the enemy, they're the enemy. No, we're not the enemy, folks. Satan, the father of lies, is the enemy. Don't forget that. Be careful about demonizing a person who comes to you and disagrees with you. Be careful about saying, Satan got in them. Be careful about saying Satan's using them. It may be true that he's gotten in there and he's caused some distortion, but the enemy is Satan himself. Again, I said the list goes on and on, it does, of his strategies, his attack. There's a clip on YouTube. There are a lot of clips like this of lions preying on water buffalo in Africa. This, this clip is unique. I would show it to you, but it's like eight or nine minutes long. It's obvious, obvious these people are on safari and they've got the camera and they're panning across this water feature, a place where animals are coming. There's a herd of water buffalo and they're over here and, and over in the grass, lurking in the grass are some female lionesses and they're, they're, they're about to pounce on these water buffalo. I mean, they're, they're just watching. They're prowling like a roaring lion. And the water buffalo herd goes by and a younger, weak, kind of isolated, one of the water buffalo is a little bit off the, the group. And those lionesses are watching that one because that's what they do. Did you know that? They don't attack the whole herd. They couldn't, they couldn't be effective that way. They find one that's alone and isolated and 
they pounce on that one and one lioness pounces on that one and then another one comes and they, they drag it down into the water. And while they're, several of them are on this water buffalo, a crocodile comes up and grabs the water buffalo. And there's a tug of war that's going on. And I'm thinking, man, this is an incredible video. I've, I've never seen anything like it for a crocodile and a lion to be fighting over a water buffalo and they're pulling. And then I realize that really isn't the, the whole story because the lionesses start to wrestle and, and, and get disturbed and look. And over here comes the entire herd of water buffalo back. And they get closer and closer and closer and the lionesses get disturbed. You know what they do? One by one, they peel those lionesses off of that weak water buffalo, throw it out of the way, and that water buffalo gets up and walks off with the herd. It's an incredible video. Folks, it's a picture of the church. See, because what Satan likes to do is he likes to isolate us. He, he will use anything. Did you know that? He will use something the pastor said or didn't say. Something the pastor did or didn't do. Something the choir sang or didn't sing. A program or a, a ministry that the church should have that decided they're not going to have or whatever. He'll use anything. He'll use the color of the carpet to get you to the point where you say, I, I don't think I'm going to be there that much anymore. You, you get pulled out of your small group or your connection class or maybe you stop attending so regularly and, and the enemy has you right where he wants you. And then you start to listen to his lies. And you get isolated. Let me tell you, folks, you know this. Living the Christian life is difficult. Whoever told us it was going to be easy it didn't do us any favors. It is difficult. And it's difficult when we have the body to come around us and alongside us. It's even more difficult when we get isolated. And I believe that same video pictures what the church should do. We, we should, like a, a herd, come back to that lone person who's been isolated and love them back into the fold. Because the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But greater is he that is in me, the Lord Jesus Christ, than he that is in the world. Let's pray together.